Hello. How are you? <gasps> that was so quiet and uh meek. Meek of you. Yeah, you sounded Yeah. I well, you know, have you ever worked on something that's like so frustrating that that frustration just like sticks with you and you can't shake it off even though you're no longer doing that thing? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. there's a I sent you an email recently. And, All right. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm familiar. Can't go into details, yeah. but I'm I was just familiar. working on some very important tax documentation, and it was really, really hard and really, really frustrating. The interface I was using to do it was really annoying. This is like the third time I've tried to get it done, and I want to just let go of that, but I'm coming in with the tension of that with me. All right. Well, let's release the tension. Everyone listening at home. Help Hava release the tension. Yeah, I'm like Tinkerbell. You have to believe in me. I believe in you. Not just you. I need a variety of adorations and beliefs. Mm, yeah. You know, yeah. part of a balanced diet. Yeah, sure, sure. I understand. Until that tax adventure, my day was, was going quite, ooh, quite well. It's cold. It's wintry. I've been diving back into the acclaimed massively multiplayer online game Final Fantasy XIV, which I know some of our listeners out there play, which has been dope. It is a a real time waster in the best way. Fighting creatures, doing quests. That's what I do when I'm not studying Jewish text or administrating the study of Jewish texts is quests. That's what's up with me. I watered my plants today. That made me feel nice. So when I went home to see my family. One of the times I had dinner with my mom, she made these green beans that she said were just like package of frozen green beans, one stick of butter, let it simmer till the butter's gone. Mm-hmm. Best green beans I've ever had in my life. I really want to recreate that. I have the accoutrement in my kitchen. So hopefully I'll get around to doing that today because that just sounds delicious as hell. Um, yeah, anyway, I don't know. I'm I'm not that exciting today. What's up with you, Michael? You know, my blender came in. Did I already mention that on the pod? Oh, yeah, you've, your Vitamix. My Vitamix came in. I have uh, blended some smoothies for myself, but I'm excited to blend some incense ingredients. So. Won't you have to stop blending smoothies when you start blending incense? Well, I, I ordered an, another um, blender jar that's just going to be... I see. Yeah. Yeah, I see. And that's like a special jar or whatever that's for dry ingredients. So you can. Oh, I didn't know such special jars even existed. It's a thing. It's a thing. This feels like the kind of weird detailed object description that we would get in Talmud. Like only when you're using a jar that's designed for dry ingredients. If you're using a jar designed for wet ingredients, then you're liable for a sacrifice or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's true. No, I'm I'm keeping it separate. I'm I'm you know I'm mixing. As is our way. This is all very kosher. It's all above board. Yeah, it's probably, besides the wood splitter that I bought, the most luxurious product I've purchased in five years. Well, I expect a smoothie hand-delivered to me any minute now. When I visit you, I could bring the blender down. We could just have a blender party. (laughs) Yeah. I have a food processor, but that's not the same at all. Weirdly enough. It feels like it should be be pretty much the same but it's not i made a carrot smoothie not carrot juice right yeah i know i know you have a face very good it you know it wasn't very good but it was more (laughs) an experiment it really chopped it so finely that it was like wow you turned this like kind of stringy 
we're not stringy, but you turn this root vegetable, which doesn't really, you know, it's an, it's no banana. It's no apple. <laughs> yeah. This is not an easy yeah. thing to smoothify. Mm-hmm. You know? And it smoothified it. Wow. Yeah, it really did. I don't know why it's grossing me out. I like carrots, but the idea of a carrot smoothie is not. I don't like carrot juice. It makes carrots, which usually taste good. When they get juice, they just taste like dirt. I don't know. I like carrot juice. I like carrots. I put some ginger in there. So it was like a carrot ginger little smoothie. So yeah. So that kind of made it a little bit more approachable. Yeah. I hear you. I don't know. Besides smoothies, I went to Savers. I got clothes. Grunge Girl helped me pick out some new clothes for myself. You. And we, then we went to Popeye's. Savers and Popeye's oh, run. Popeye's. I haven't been to Popeye's in forever. You and I used to go to Popeye's all the time when we I lived know. together. I know. And now I never go to Popeye's. I'm very far away from it now. Well, so. just tell you're very, very servile. Is that the right word? <laughs> um, helpful. Helpful. Generous, kind, sweet. Generous, kind, sweet. <laughs> soy boy. Soy boy fiance of yours to go to fucking Popeye's and get you a goddamn. Uh, I know, but I feel bad telling him to go to Popeye's because he doesn't really like fried chicken, which is like not, I don't know how. I don't know how anyone could not like fried chicken. Well, does he like plain bagels with strawberry cream cheese? You know? No, but he likes some th- other things that they have at Dunkin'. What about the fries, though? The Popeye's fries are so good. They're okay. All right. Okay, fine. They're okay. But I'm glad that you're not using your power, I guess. Uh, the thing is, Michael, I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but he will do anything I ask him to. And his threshold for doing things is so low. Like, I I merely have to ask. I merely have to express the desire and it will be done. So I feel like I have to be really careful with that power. power. Yeah, I understand. I understand. So I try not to, I try to, like, keep it to a reasonable limit. You know, I don't have that power with Grunge Girl. Yeah. But it's the closest I have had that power with anyone, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh. Which is nice. I think that's a sign that like yeah. if you're in a relationship people and you know you have power but you choose not to use it, I don't know. Maybe that's a sign of something. Yeah. I'm not sure. Love. What, love even. maybe. Maybe. Or whatever. Does the fiance also have a power over you? Like what is something that you know that if he were to ask you to do, like it'd be very hard to say no? Um, I mean I I he doesn't ask for very many things, but I usually do what is requested probably the most the thing i least like to do that he asks for is in the morning when i'm waking him up sometimes his back hurts when he first wakes up and he asks me to rub his back while he's laying there waking up which is a very sweet and cute moment but i like don't really enjoy giving people massages i like don't find that a fun activity <laughs> so especially at like 5 a.m i'm like this is not i'm already doing you a favor by waking you up Tell me more little intimate details about your relationship. That are... <laughs> no. <laughs> Come on. Just, you know, just share them. With... Just Those like, are my are... secrets. Okay. You have secrets. Great. Yeah. I mean, I don't also, it's, uh, it's hard to just come up with, oh, here's my collection of intimate details I can keep on hand for when someone asks me. Yeah. What are yeah. the intimate details of your relationship? Oh, uh, that's fair. Let's just jump into it, shall we? Yeah. Okay. So I brought some Talmud. I brought some Talmud from Gatine. 57B. Continuing on our theme of continuing on our theme. Last week, you brought some stuff about Jerusalem and really, it touched on a lot of things, but I think it'll be obvious how this is connected. But content warning, 
going to be discussing some murder. So take care of yourselves, friends and listeners. But, you know, given all the uh, war crimes being perpetuated by Israel, uh, this felt like a topical, topical piece. So with regard to the exile following the destruction of the first temple, so exile to Babylonia, Rabbi Chia Bar-Avin said that Rabbi Yehoshua ben Korcha said, an old man from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem related to me. In this valley that lies before you, Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard of Nebuchadnezzar, killed 211,000 people. And in Jerusalem itself, he killed 94,000 on one stone until the blood of his victims flowed and touched the blood of Zechariah to fulfill what is stated in Hosea 4.2 and blood touches blood. And the Gemara clarifies, Nebuzaradan found the blood of Zechariah, the son of Jehoadiah, the priest, and saw that it was bubbling up from the ground. And he said, what is this? And those in the temple said to him, it is sacrificial blood that had been poured there. So clarification about a few of the things mentioned. One, the verse mentioned from Hosea 4.2 has this phrase, which in the JPS translation is translated, crime follows upon crime. The full sort of gist of that section is here, the word of God, O people of Israel, for God has a case against the inhabitants of this land, because there is no honesty and no goodness and no devotion to God in the land, false swearing, dishonesty and murder, and theft and adultery are rife. Crime follows upon crime. And that phrase, crime follows upon crime, is what the Gemara is reading as blood follows upon blood, because it is the same word right here. Okay, and this line from Hosea's, is that you said it's from? Mm-hmm, yeah. Is this perceived by Jews generally in the know or whatever as a prophecy <laughs> about, like, the Nebuchadnezzar style? I mean, I think this is, uh, it is because of the piece of Talmud that we're reading right okay, now, which okay. is reading it that way. Yeah, so that is the verse that the Gemara is taking the time to say, okay, this is what they meant by blood touches blood is here's when the blood touching blood happened is when Nebuzaradan killed all these people, their blood touched this other blood that was already there, which the people in the temple said it's sacrificial blood from one of the sacrifices. But we know from the context the Gemara is giving us that it's actually the blood of Zechariah, the son of Jehoadiah. And this is kind of a weird tale that I'd never heard before, but I'll continue with some context that will clarify what is up with the blood of Zechariah. So Nebuzaradan brought animal blood and he compared it to the blood on the ground and he saw that it was not similar. Nebuzaradan said, if you tell me whose blood this is, then that will be good. But if not, I will comb your flesh with iron combs. And they said to him, what should we say to you? He was a prophet among us who used to rebuke us about heavenly matters. And we rose up against him and killed him. And for many years now, his blood has not settled. Whoa. So Zechariah was the prophet who did the usual prophet thing of, of rebuking the Jews for wicked ways. And apparently, one of the things that happened after his death is his blood would just continually bubble up from this spot in Jerusalem. Oh, my God. Oh, so my God. That is... Jot that down. Holy shit. I have never heard of this before. Yes. The tale of Zechariah is just briefly mentioned in Second Chronicles chapter 24, uh, which is, you know, just the story of one of the many kings, in this case, King Joash, doing fucked up shit, where it says, The Lord sent prophets among them to bring them back to him, 
They admonished them, but they would not pay heed. Then the Spirit of God enveloped Zechariah, the son of Jehoadiah the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus God said, Why do you transgress the commandments of Hashem when you cannot succeed? Since you have forsaken Hashem, they have forsaken you. They conspired against him and pelted him with stones in the court of the house of Hashem by order of the king. And King Joash disregarded the loyalty that his father Jehoadiah had shown to him and killed his son. As he was dying, he said, may Hashem see and requite it. So this is Zechariah's curse from beyond the grave. I don't have too much insight or hot takes to bring on this, like just the blood bubbling up. But what Nebuzaradan is about to do, I think, ultimately turns this into a pretty interesting morality tale. So let's continue. So Nebuzaradan said, I will appease Zechariah. And so he brought the members of the Sanhedrin and of the lesser Sanhedrin, and he killed them alongside the bubbling blood, but it did not settle. And then he brought young men and young women, and he killed them alongside it, but it did not settle. And then he brought children and killed them alongside it, but it did not settle. And finally, Nebuzaradan said, Zechariah, Zechariah, I have killed the best of them. Would it please you if I destroyed them all? And when he said this, the blood at last settled. And from that moment, Nebuzaradan contemplated repentance and said to himself, if for the death of one soul, God punishes like this, then that man, which is me, who has killed all of these souls, all the more so will I be punished. And he fled and he gave away all of his property and he converted to Judaism. The end. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> That's the response I'd like to see from you in, uh, in response to a Talmudic tale. So... Okay. um. The obvious, the top level thing that I like about this is that we have this story of someone trying to appease the cry of blood through vengeance, which feels very connected to what Israel is doing right now. And the kind of absolute rejection of that paradigm is something that is heartening to see in the tradition. And I also just really like the poetic nature of I've killed the best of them would it please you if I destroyed them all and the blood only settles when Nebuzaradan sort of learns his lesson about paying back blood with blood and I also think it's really interesting for a couple other reasons one is that it ends in a kind of unique way we don't have too many Talmudic tales that end with like and he learned his lesson and that lesson was Judaism and he converted to yeah, Judaism yeah that's a little feels a little uh Saint Paul yeah, <laughs> no, but you know, who doesn't want a little Pauline yeah. Judaism? Sure, yeah. <laughs> otherwise known as Christianity. <laughs> yeah. And also just like the idea that Nebuzaranan, sort of chief lieutenant of Nebuchadnezzar, huge enemy of the Jewish people, sort of being the vehicle for this lesson and also the vehicle for sort of healing the wound of Zechariah in the city of Jerusalem is really interesting, sort of like taking this villainous character who does villainous actions and who many innocent people pay with their lives in this story for his actions, but ultimately using him as sort of the vehicle for this. It's just a really, really unusual story that really stood out to me. It is very unusual. I, I don't know what to make of it. I'm not very pro Zechariah, at least, you know, uh, Zechariah the ghost. Uh -huh. I don't know who's controlling the bubbling blood. I'm assuming it's Zechariah. All right. Like, if we can imagine the blood, the bubbling blood is, is Zechariah or God's intention. It's almost like 
you know, the blood, the blood could have stopped bubbling before the children were murdered, you know? Right. But it's almost like a punishment. I mean, but putting the lives of the children aside, it's a punish. It's even like a more psychic punishment for the perpetrator, you know, to have to. Right. To know how yeah. doomed they are in a certain sense. I think, and this is to pure guesswork on my part, but one of my guesses about this story is because it's a story discussing this exile and this bloody war that definitely happened. This thing that happened with Nebuzardon is almost certainly mythological, you know. It's almost like an explanation for the real tragedy, right? The real tragedy is tons of people died in the war that the Babylonians waged on the Jews and also the exile and the destruction. It's just like a huge mountain of tragedy. And this is sort of a making hay out of that and sort of taking those deaths that seemingly happened for no reason other than, you know, conquest and lust for power and turning them into a meaningful part of the redemptive process. Yeah, yeah, that's something we need to do to not go insane. It's also very sad that it's like the only thing that we can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... Certainly um, with stuff like that happens like this in the past, but also just even it can feel like that now because democracy doesn't seem to be very real as much as we think it is. So it can feel that way even about stuff in the present, like we feel very powerless. Right. I mean, I think we we at least have the option to strive to change things now. You know, we don't know the power of our actions in the present and it'll be up to future generations to decide how the narrative of all of this fits together, all of our present times and all of the spilling of blood. But yeah, I guess it's it's an interesting parallel. We're on the opposite side of the equation in this Talmud story as, as the state of Israel is now. Also kind of like, I feel like there's a hope in this story. There's a hope that the rabbis are expressing that the empires of the world or their agents will contemplate repentance. Um, yeah. With the ending of Nebuzaradan, sort of seems like a, like that's how they would like the world to be. Yeah, that, that 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 is very nice. And then I guess apparently convert to Judaism in sort of like a monastic sort of way, apparently. Yeah, that okay. That us we've talked about a lot of serious stuff already, but that is sort of an interesting part from that is also standing out is when Nebuzaradan leaves, he does away with all of his property he he literally he sends a document to his house letting them know what to do with it all which is also very unusual maybe he's going to join the Qumran sect yeah i guess so you know i've, I've read stuff about people trying to catalog all the monastic stuff that's in uh, jewish text mm-hmm. and i've never heard of this one as a potentially weird endorsement of some sort of aesthetic lifestyle that is very neat yeah i think there are a lot of There are a lot of different lessons that can be drawn out of this. One thing that just occurred to me is like Nebuzaradan was ready to keep on killing as much as he needed to to deal with this situation. And like part of the potential moral of the story is like you can always stop, which I think we all have to remember sometimes usually about things much less serious than this. But you can choose to not keep perpetuating the cycle of violence, which is an important reminder and also that the people who were living in Jerusalem at that time, like they, it seems like they could have repented also, and that would have appeased the blood of Zechariah. I don't know what like grand, I'm not trying to apply that moral to our times, just like going back to the, the sort of micro level of this story. It does seem like 
part of the tragedy of this story is that it took this great crisis of Nebuzaradan coming along to bring about the repentance that would appease Zechariah. I am assuming I'm operating under the metaphysical assumption that the blood of Zechariah is sort of just like, a, you know, in in Kabbalistic discussions of angels and shadim of demons, they talk about how angels and shadim sort of represent only a single state of heart and mind. So like if you do a sin in anger, that creates a shade that is uh, representative of that state that led you to do that sin. And that is the only state that it embodies. That's what makes them different from humans is that we can change our hearts and minds and they can't. I'm sort of imagining the blood of Zechariah as sort of in that category of being of just like, this is the blood that sort of embodies how he was feeling at his death. Mm. And he's not there actively deciding to press yes or no. Am I appeased? I see. Uh, um, I get it. I get it. I get it's it. It's just like happening, you know, whether whether he's up in heaven watching it or not. It's just a reflection, really, ultimately, of what's going around. Right. Exactly. And it's like it, it's visibilizing the bloody past that is usually invisible. Now that you, you mention that, like it, it's not actually a, a conscious either deity or soul or something like that trying to teach a lesson, but just a reflection of what's going on in the current present. I like that a lot more. It makes it feel a lot less. is just being a piece of shit. And the fact that, what's his name? The guy whose name I can't pronounce, the, the slaughtering. Nebuzaradan. Nebuzaradan, which is... Great name. Great name. Got to give it to his yeah. mom, I presume. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how it worked back then. Nebuzaradan, he asks a question that implies that he thinks that this has gone too far. And that correlates with when the blood stops. Right. It's not that he's reacting to the blood stopping. And that's what makes him realize that he's done something wrong. It's that he's realized he's done something wrong. And then the blood stops as a reaction to it. And it's all. Mm -hmm. So that's very nice. Which I'm yeah. sure more literary folks than me noticed before I did, but that's very nice. That's nice. Yes, dear listeners, if you out there have divergent interpretations of this story from us, write in, tell us in our Patreon comments, send us an email. Anyway, that's all the Talmud I have for today. Great. I won't say I hope you enjoyed it, dear listeners, but I hope it was, I hope it nourished you in some way to contemplate, and I hope you're all having marvelous, cozy winter days out there. Go ahead and sign up for the most recent Shomala class, The Priests Eat at Midnight, facilitated by friend of the show, Benya Koatz. We'll put the link in the description. Yeah, just be well and continue to strive for the prevention of tragedy and accept the limitations of your own power. On that cheery note, Shavua Tov. Shavua Tov. <laughs>